This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1974 edition for Thursday, September 12th, 2019. Hey, Adam Hall. How you doing, Nico? What's up, buddy? Yeah, well, then, not much. How the hell are you? I'm okay. It's been a little while. It has. Yeah. It won't feel that way in podcast time, but... No. It has been in real life. We recorded the last episode a while ago, it feels like. I know. Yeah. Are you uh, well-rested after your sojourn? My sojourn? Yeah. Are you good? My What, what, what is that? What are you talking about? Well, I, I think last time I saw you, you seemed a bit worn out. Oh, I was. Well, that podcast sucked. <laughs> What do you mean? That was a problematic podcast. It's problematic? Are you canceling the Movie Hall of Fame? Well, no. I, I would like I would like to make a quick update, by the way, because our, our grand juror, Nick Evangelista... Not our juror. Our, no. Our, our, our judge, rather. The justice our, of the... Our, yes, justice yeah, of the court. That's that's right. Excuse me. Um, he, he, he made his own executive decision to say, you know what? It ain't E.T. It's actually Blade Runner. So apparently you never took an American government class because I don't ca- judges don't make executive decisions. Decisions. I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, there's this thing in the Constitution called double jeopardy. You ever heard of that? But and it's not like a segment, but on that Alex Trebek show. Are, are we the the United States of America? Here? Damn straight. No, we're not. Dude, that podcast <laughs> was justice at work. There. If you want to know why the American justice system it's so it's so great, just listen to the class of 1982. Yeah. There's, there's also been, like, court cases in which the racist politics of the South have won, which is essentially what happened. The racist <laughs> politics of the South won over some poor African-American fellow in a, in, a, in a courtroom that was clearly biased. Are you calling me a Dixiecrat? Yes. Is this a, is this a <laughs> freaking To Kill a Mockingbird thing? That is exactly Are you going to go Atticus Finch on my ass? All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that Nick got in touch with me and essentially said, yeah, I I thought about it. I listened back to it. I made the wrong decision. So I I, I don't care what you think. So the hell I, what? I, I no, don't I'm ca- glad that he feels remorse. <laughs> yeah. The point the point is, what do you want me to do? The point is, I am unofficially inducting Blade Runner <laughs> into the movie Hall of Fame. Well, do you have an applause button over there? Oh, that's right. You don't. I do. Oh, I'm your, sorry. Your applause button means this is a real applause button, my friend. <laughs> yes. Essentially, Nick said, yeah, uh, based on the response that, that people gave from the podcast. Well, there was a thunderous response on the internet. I will say that. People were a little pissed. <laughs> Why the hell did you induct E.T.? The point is... <laughs> When 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 your judge is like, yeah, I listened back to it. I looked at all the evidence, and you're right. Blade Runner is is the abductee, re-ruling in place, and all that other shit. So Nick says Blade Runner. I'm as far as I'm concerned, it's there alongside E. T. That's great for you, and it's in, great in for Fantasyland. <laughs> it's Enjoy. not Fantasyland. All I know Why is I won ca- that day. <laughs> I won. You lost. I won in retrospect, though. So take that, motherfucker. The legacy lives on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have your participation trophy. Congratulations to Blade Runner for barely uh, losing in the yeah. uh, Movie Hall of Fame. I debate. think it's officially won. Okay, I, I'm just saying. I think today we can safely induct Blade Runner alongside ET. How, how do you? What do you think about that? <laughs> can we induct Blade Runner next to ET if Nick says so? Once you get yourself an applause button, Nick says so. I'm but, just saying. But for now, the ruling stands. Yeah. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to talk to Nick when he comes on. Ooh, I got an applause button. Uh, we're not here to talk about the films in 1982 or to relitigate that case. Lord knows we don't need to talk about that yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the films of 1974. 
Uh, here are your six nominees for the Movie Hall of Fame. Man, we managed to get such a lack of variety on this list. It's pretty crazy. But I still feel like it's the six correct nominees, Lack of right? variety? I mean... What are you talking about, lack of variety? Four of the six movies are directed by two men. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. There are two Mel Brooks films. There wow. are two Francis Ford Coppola films. And there are two others. I don't care about who directed them. Let's just look at these movies. Sure. Well, Va- here they are. Vastly different stuff here. I started from... I, you know what? No, even the two that are similar... At the top there, uh, still very different movies. Yeah, we'll talk about it. So they're Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, The Conversation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Godfather Part Two, and Chinatown. Mm, yummy. Six. Delicious. Here they are. Tasty. Another difficult decision is around the bend, but I don't think it's going to be as contentious. This yes, week. it will. It will. Mm. See, I am going to extend the olive branch because I'm a gracious winner and I won last week and I don't feel the need to rub it in or kick a man while he's down. So I will extend the olive branch and try to cooperate with this decision. But your choice to to do the opposite will be your own to make. I think it's easy to make a case. Okay. We'll talk about it. I also want to say uh, I listened to, to Cultured and, you, and you, did, you did the thing. I did the thing. Yeah. But you cited the wrong person. It was not my idea. Well, I know it was Abby's, but you're the Abby's one that told idea. me to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, you could have you cited Abby. Well, you're the one that told me to do it. Well, you should have said no. Why didn't Abby good, get a hold of good me? Good job. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, good, like, congrats, Abby, for adding that nice little trinket to the beginning of the wonderful podcast that is cultured. I will not be uh, replaying that <laughs> segment ever. That's again. okay. <laughs> That's a one and done. <laughs> I want to leave that moment behind me as well. I d- you know what? You, 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 should, you should just, you know, be ashamed of yourself anyway. For <laughs> There are very few times I lose my cool on the air. But that, that was, was a legitimate losing my cool. That was incredible. That was... <laughs> I was like, what the hell has happened to Nico? I mean, and then I realized, like, wait, well, maybe the Jets just do that to people. <laughs> they do. They've done it for 20 years. Why is this the break? I mean, I feel like they've done worse. This was supposed to be the hopeful year, is the point. This was, like, also I had some money on it, too, so that didn't help. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. But, uh... It does really suck when they're, what, 16 nothing going into the fourth? 16 nothing going into the fourth, yeah. And they... <laughs> it reminds me of that Bill Burt joke when he was on Conan talking about Trump versus Hillary. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's when... <laughs> What did he say? That's like the other tr- team throwing like 20 in- interceptions and you still manage to get out in front of them. I don't know how you do that. No, it's literally Patriots Falcons. Yeah. It's like, yeah. How did you manage to work it back? Yeah. We had four turnovers. I know. We have four turnovers. That's your own fault. If y'all think that was an act, it was not an act. I actually lost my cool in the air. <laughs> I hate to admit it. It was not performative in any way, shape, or form. It was louder on game day. Uh, all right. Uh, highest grossing movie in 1974. What is it? Highest grossing movie of 1974. Um, hmm. I don't know. It can't be Godfather 2, is it? Well, the original Godfather was the highest grossing film of 70. Yeah. but Or God- 72, I'm sorry. But it's 2 is very long. It's very long. Uh, actually, the number 6 highest grossing film of that year was Godfather okay. Part 2. Uh, number 1, Blazing Saddles. Oh, that was my next guess. Yeah, followed by The Towering Inferno, The Trial of Billy Jack... Young Frankenstein, Frankenstein, and Earthquake. Ooh, a lot of good movies. You ever seen Towering Inferno? No. Solid. Is it? Solid. Who's it's, in that? Uh, Steve McQueen. And oh, is that the prison movie? 
No, no, no. It's literally uh, about a, 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 um, uh, uh, Jesus, like a skyscraper that's burning and they're trying to get out of it. So it's like, it's a tower skyscraper, but yes, free the rock. Yes. But you know, <laughs> fuck that movie. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I caught it at the gym like a couple weeks ago. You know what I caught? Not at the gym in the theater recently. What? It was it chapter two. Oh, yo. <laughs> forgot to, I forgot to mention this. Hit me. Let's take a break from this. Hit me. Okay, it's chapter two. It's okay. Okay, it's okay. It's got a lot of problems. There's mm. there's a shit. It's a messy, messy movie with a strange mixture of tone. It's not scary at all. It's not. No, of course not. It's it's got like <laughs> one moment with a little girl that's actually kind of frightening. Um, aside from that, yeah, it's it's just meandering and strange, and it's repetitive as hell. And I think about like. I don't know, a good hour of that movie could have been cut. <laughs> oh, no. There's an entire subplot with, I think the character's name is Henry Bowers. He's the bully from the first movie. Okay. He comes back, and there, that, he, he comes back for like a good like 50 minutes of the movie, and it serves no purpose. It is abandoned. It, ser- it doesn't say anything about these characters or this plot, really. It doesn't progress anything forward. It could have been disposed of. And a huge waste of time, as is a lot of like kind of non sequiturs that happen throughout the film as they're kind of exploring dairy again and reliving their childhood. And I just found a lot of it to be, you know, like I said, sort of meandering. And every once in a while, though, it's kind of cool with some interesting horror imagery and whatnot. And Bill Hader is excellent. That's what I've heard. Yeah. That is the one universal response I've gotten. Quite good. Quite good. And he has the most recognizable arc. Uh And it's like it's well made. Uh, it's a, it's a decent enough companion piece to that first movie. I think the first like twenty minutes is awesome, uh-huh. but yeah, it's it's like the movie is. I I I never like jumping to the to the argument that it's too long because you know plenty of movies I love, including the ones that are coming up on this list, are wonderful because of their length. But sure. this one simply did not need to be that long, and uh, yeah, I don't love all the adults in it. I think James McAvoy was not good yes that's what i heard too like not good what's up with mcavoy these days i don't know what when was mcavoy's last solid role split oh right i guess (laughs) you hate that mcavoy's a weird character man oh yeah i know mcavoy could be it's funny we were talking about this guy earlier today he's sort of ewan mcgregor-ish where he's sort of he's good at like the idiosyncratic supporting roles kind of and he's got a lot of energy and charisma but isn't quite the leading man I like i feel that. like 10 years ago everybody was like yeah james mcavoy is an x-men now and now it's like oh yeah he's playing a, a monster with split personalities in m night Shyamalan movies maybe he's certainly more charismatic to me than or, or james ewan mcgregor is more charismatic to me i love ewan mcgregor yeah i get down to most things that he chooses to do <laughs> even though it's all across the board it's very weird yeah uh, but yeah, he's, I don't know his re- more recent films. I just don't quite get it. I, I don't get excited to go to a movie because James McAvoy's in it. Right. Well, he's doing TV now, I guess he's going to do the golden compass adaptation for HBO. Okay. So that might be a good change of pace. Is anybody going to watch that? I don't know. Someone will because they paid $15 for HBO. <laughs> so why not? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I, I heard very similar things coming out. Very mixed. The length, from what I understand, the reason why the length is so annoying is that they split the thing up into like six vignettes, correct? Yes. And 
it's the same scene happening six times. Right. Exact same scene happening six times. And some vignettes are better than others. And that's, I guess, that's the best way I can describe it. How's Chastain? She's fine. Okay. She's okay. Like, again, none of them really, like, leave an impression. I mean, it's cool to see the Old Spice guy in the movie. The Old Spice guy's in the movie? You know, the guy who's like, I'm on a horse. That guy's in the movie? Yeah, he's the older Mike. No shit! Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's pretty good in it, too. Wow! Yeah. I didn't know that dude acted. The myth... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The mythology is crazy, though. It is ridiculous, and I'm, I'm not convinced the movie understands its own rules okay well <laughs> so. the thing about the it novel though is that the it novel is fucking insane and yeah. no one talks about that really there was remember the controversy about the orgy scene that they left out yeah. like three years ago i guess i read something this week that in the book there's this turtle god yep that helps defeat the clown at the end of the movie yeah because it's one of his weaknesses is this turtle god that brings all these weird mythical creatures along and you know, it's it's like a pivotal part to how he came to Earth and how to stop him. So it could have been a lot more off the rails, is yeah. is I guess my point. Yeah. And so they they don't go full uh, full Stephen King with it. I guess he's in the movie. Really? He cameos as like a pawn uh, shop owner, and Pierre Bogdanovich is in the movie. No kidding. As a director. Huh. It's very strange. <laughs> It chapter two. All I know too is it made a shit ton of money at the box office. Yeah, it made it made a decent amount. A lot. Second highest grossing horror movie of all time, I it's, believe. It's not going to have much legs though. People, it's the kind of film that you would only see once. It's about to be Stephen King season. Get ready. I know, like it's always Stephen King season to a certain extent. But well, I'm excited for Doctor Sleep. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of Stephen King. Yeah, coming out. I'm excited for like nothing else that's coming out. But like. Oh, yeah, you did publish your most anticipated list on Twitter, and I was so disappointed you didn't, like, go for it with this exercise. No, I I was honest. That's all I'm excited (laughs) for. You're not excited for uncut gems? Not really. Oh, no! I find movies now that come out, I'm not, like, pumped for any of them. I just sort of discover them, and I'm like, that was awesome. But I don't really get, like, excited for these movies as much as I used to. Yeah. They don't really, I mean, it seems like it's been slowly declining for me every year, because what's been coming out is just not that interesting. Well, also, we have franchise fatigue. I know. You know, so it used to be when a Spider-Man sequel came out, yeah, waited for it six months in advance, yeah. but now it's so oversaturated. Yeah, with comic book shit, it's like I need to like put myself on a different rail. Yeah, if that makes any sense, to in order to get excited for these kinds of movies, I'm my most anticipated film is The Lighthouse, right? Which is very strange for anybody. Well, it's an A twenty four movie, but it's Robert Eggers, and right. also there's that movie Waves. It's apparently by Trey Edward Schultz who did It Comes at Night. Right. Yeah, and I've heard that's gonna be like the moonlight this year yeah it looks like the moonlight yeah so. it's gonna be like the very intimate character study that does well at the oscars because of a good you know like ground game that dude can direct yeah uh I, I that was the one thing i'm like when i read that news and i saw the name i am not a huge it comes at night fan as you well know but i do respect the direction of that movie mm-hmm. kind of feels like he should be making stuff other than horror well his first film was like a more inner in um intimate character study about like a housewife trying to like prepare a dinner called Cretia. I haven't seen it, but okay. apparently it's remarkable. Yeah. So this actually feels a little more suited to his skill yeah. set, I think. Uh yeah, okay. Well we'll talk about all those movies when they come about. So no need to do a full podcast review on it chapter no. two, right? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. There's times where I think it's like a why is this a thing movie. Really? It's weird. Yeah. It's a strange strange entry. Well if I can carve out five hours, I'll go see it this week. You can do it. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> 
Um, we'll talk about the Oscars in a second. Honorable mentions from the year 1974. Alice doesn't live here anymore. You had a chance to assign it to me, and you didn't. I know. I'll watch it one of these days. It's what you Very love. Good. Yeah. Death Wish. Come on, bro. Death. Are you a fan of the Death Wish movies? I've seen half of the first one. Okay. Charles Bronson. Yeah. The Great Gatsby with Robert Redford came no. out that year. Mm. Uh, Lenny. Lenny Bruce biopic. Bob Fosse. Have not seen it. Good. Yeah, is it good? Yeah. All right. Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, that's the one that the original. Uh, Ingrid Bergman got the Oscar for. Yeah, and Sidney Lamette directed, I think. Yeah. yeah. Parallax View. Same guy that did uh, 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 Pakula. Oh, okay. Alan, Alan Pakula. Okay, okay. All the President's Men cool. and whatnot. The Sugarland Express. Spielberg's first film, sort of. Never saw. Never saw it either. Okay. Yeah, I need to do that because I'm a completionist. I'll do it one of these <laughs> yeah. days. The Taking of Pelham 123, the original. Very good. I really like that. Movie. Really like it really. too. And this one almost made it on for me. It's a crowded field, but The Longest Yard uh. <laughs> with Burt Reynolds is a wonderful sports movie. Yes. What, and it is sullied by the remake with Adam Sandler. I don't hate the remake. Ugh. The original is so underrated. And yes, I like Now that. kids won't see it because Adam Sandler's is the definitive version. Maybe the ones who saw it will see the original when they get older. They haven't because everyone I know that loves the new Longest Yard has not seen the Burt Reynolds I one. I agree. Yeah. Uh, National Film Registry. This happens every once in a while. Here are your inductees. Blazing Saddles. Young Frankenstein, The Conversation, Chinatown, The Godfather Part 2, and A Woman Under Influence. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw is the only one that didn't get it. How that one's not on there is very strange to me. I think they'll probably induct it eventually. Uh, but yeah, the fact that it's not there yet is, is odd. I National see a, Film Registry can get a little snooty, though. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I see a little bias there. They can be a bit uppity with their choices. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let's begin with the Mel Gibson conversation. I'm sorry. The Mel. Oh, we want we want to do this now, Nico. (laughs) Oh my God! She stole my Laker tickets. (laughs) Let's talk Mel Gibson for some godforsaken reason. Freudian slip. Let's talk about a Jew. (laughs) Polar opposite, by the way. Mel Brooks. Whoops. Mel Gibson's arch nemesis. (laughs) Mel Gibson's arch nemesis. Mel Brooks. (laughs) <laughs> Two Mel Brooks conversations. Let's start with Young Frankenstein, starring Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, Madeline Kahn, Cloris Leachman, and Terry Garr. Nominated that year for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound. Number 13 on AFI's all-time comedy list. An American grandson of the infamous scientist struggling to prove that his grandfather was not as insane as people believe is invited to Transylvania, where he discovers the process that reanimates a dead body. You nominated this. What's your relationship to the movie? I saw this one uh, as a as a kid. Me too. I remember being kind of scared by it when I saw it. Really? I wasn't as like, yeah, I didn't find it nearly as funny until I got much older. Mm. Like, I, I think as a kid, I related to it more as like a drama, <laughs> actually, in a mm. lot of in a lot of funny ways. But uh, yeah, like seeing it much later on, I think the film's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something about the aesthetic at the time when I first saw it that was like, oh, God, it's a black and white movie about a Frankenstein thing. Right. Oh, boy. But uh, it's since grown to be, I think, my favorite Mel Brooks film, personally. Hmm. Uh, 
it's funny you say that. Mel Brooks says this is by far and away his best movie. He's not, cor- he's correct. It's not his funniest though. He also says that it's not necessarily his funniest, but it is his best. And I think you're right on when you say it scared you as a child and the aesthetic was a little off putting mm-hmm. because the movie does get the horror elements right. Absolutely. Which almost makes it funnier. In fact, yeah. <laughs> it definitely does make it funnier. Yeah. Because you're not distracted by the tacky set pieces no. or the scenery or the makeup or like everything looks very authentic. They shot the movie on the authentic Frankenstein set. Really? Yes. Oh my God. He got permission from the studio. Mel That's Brooks cool. did to shoot on the original Frankenstein. Set. That's really so cool. Yeah. All of the elements there are to a T correct. The only difference is that it's funny and yeah. the script is funny. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between this and the original Frankenstein movie. No. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of interesting. It almost kind of works as like a, as an unconventional sequel. Yeah. I sort of appreciate it that way. I was like, you know what? Like I can like watch this and I feel like it, it's a respectable companion piece in a lot of ways. Right. Cause it's certainly, uh, it certainly owes a lot to that film's heart. Right. I mean, and the film itself has a ton of heart, a lot, lot of heart, a lot of humanity and it's actually kind of touching. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. I feel like this is an, another movie for the, at least if we want to call it the Frankenstein franchise, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one entry to be proud of. You're not that far off. I think the movie itself credits the characters of Mary Shelley at yep. the beginning. So yeah, it is meant to be a story in the same universe. It just happens to be comedic. Yep. And I think that's the larger point i want to make about mel brooks and one of the reasons that i really like him or at least grown to respect him i wasn't a huge mel brooks guy growing up Mm -hmm. his movies are legitimate movies yeah you know and he comes from that old school sensibility of if you're in show business you got to be able to do everything Mm -hmm. you gotta be able to write music perform music play an instrument sing do a dance number yep it's very big it's very old hollywood but it's with this transgressiveness and this uh, this dirty, filthy attitude, mm-hmm. which I so love. It's like, I see Young Frankenstein, it looks like a million bucks, it's shot well, the characters act like they're supposed to, they have a lot of heart and soul. There's that hilarious musical number with Gene Wilder <laughs> and Peter Boyle, which yep. is one of the funniest scenes, I think, in yep. the history of, of movies. It's so good. We all love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not that much different from this and the original Frankenstein, and that is sort of why I elevate it beyond a spoof. Yeah. It's not necessarily airplane. No. It's not what you would think on the surface. I guess by a technical definition, it's a spoof. But I really care about the relationship between Gene Wilder and Peter Boyle. You know, I really care when Peter Boyle breaks down in the jail cell and yeah. and starts crying because no one loves this, this ugly creature. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's restrained and it's real and it's human. And that is something that Mel Brooks is pretty underrated at. I agree. But it's funny because I feel like the film, whether intentional or not, sort of steered into it. A, gr- a great indicator of that is actually the scene where he's in the jail cell and he's chained up and then the guard comes up and starts blowing the matches in his face. Yeah. And you could have very easily have played that scene for laughs if you wanted to, but it's actually not. It's actually him like like getting mad and then killing the guy and, and, and escaping. And it's done in a very, uh, I guess... I don't know, more familiar way. Like that scene plays out the way it would actually have played out in a Frankenstein movie. Right. As opposed to just being like, yeah, like, like I'm going to, I'm going to make a joke out of this guy trying to scare this guy with fire, which they do in the movie with Gene Hackman scene, which is awesome. I love, it's my favorite scene in the movie. I was going to make espresso. (laughs) Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. (laughs) 
I just love that it's Gene Hackman. I had no idea for the longest time. Though. Yeah. It's so funny. Fire is good. Yes. Yes. Fire. <laughs> fire is our friend. Yes. <laughs> the blind man. There are oh. so many great little characters. Yeah. That's really what makes the movie so great. You have Igor and you have mm-hmm. the Terry Gar character and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Gene Wilder is throwing 105 miles an hour in every scene. He loves this character. He's just crushing it. <laughs> I've never seen a comedic actor like more in the pocket than this guy. It could work. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> this oh, this could great. be Gene Wilder's best performance. So th- they're all awesome, but like the investigator or the it, German guy is that yeah the guy with the I guess arm? he's not the detective or no he is the detective yeah. yeah with the arm that he has to keep hitting oh out of the way God. when they use him as a battering ram to get in the, <laughs> <laughs> to get in the house there's so many great little characters the face the physical acting with him is so good because obviously he's not missing his arm but it is so convincing just seeing him play around with his arm and fuck up and yeah <laughs> oh my god I love it when he loses it at the end it's just uh, <laughs> And no one can understand what he's saying, too, because he's got this thick Transylvanian accent. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And I love, uh, of course, uh, Cloris Leachman in the movie as Frau Blucher. Frau Blucher so great. I love when the horses neigh every yeah. time they say her name. <laughs> I, it's a great running gag. It causes the horses to shudder in nope. fear. It's yep. so good. Yeah. Cloris Leachman is just a freaking legend. Uh, she's Is she still alive? I don't think so. Uh, I think she passed away a few years ago. I love her. I she, could be totally wrong on that. Florence Cloyce Eachman could be alive and well. I don't she, know. She was always the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's true. He was my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at the beginning when she's like, care for a glass of milk? <laughs> <laughs> Stay close to the candles. The staircase can be treacherous. <laughs> Cloris Leachman... Uh, Yes, is is dead. <laughs> well, that no, I take that back. No, still around. She is. I, it was just I googled Cloris Leachman D, and there were so many results: death, died, cause of death. They're just waiting for her to die. No, she's still alive and working, I believe. Wow. All right. Yeah, Cloris Leachman, born in nineteen twenty-six. So, oh my God, man, pushing a hundred. Good for Cloris. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. What else do you have to say about this movie? Yeah, it's it's like I said as I've as I've grown up it's become tremendously funnier to me and I can and I watch it like every year now. It's uh, like you said it's it's probably Gene Hackman's best performance. I really <laughs> Gene Wilder you mean? Or Gene, Gene well, you know what both. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Gene Wilder's best performance and uh yeah, I yeah, I love pretty much everything about this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's 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 I I love those movies that you watch and you don't necessarily love them at first, but then you, you grow to like really appreciate them on a deeper level. I had that same experience with Star Wars when I was a kid, and okay. then uh, and then same, pretty much the same thing as this. And I think it's just because as a kid, this like oh, this freaked me out, you know. But you know, I realize I realize that the, yeah, there's a lot of genius going on here. One little fun fact: Aerosmith's song "Walk This Way" was directly inspired by this movie. So I guess Aerosmith was like recording shit. And they took a break because they were working so hard in the studio. And mm-hmm. so they go to the movie theater, see Young Frankenstein. And Igor has that line, walk this way. No, walk this way. <laughs> and, there were, and so <laughs> Steven Tyler was like, yes, that's the name of the song. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't get musicians. Walk this way. Directly from Young Frankenstein. Well, we need to do a, a, a cover with just Igor yes. saying walk this way. You know what I love about that character, too? His eyeballs are actually like that. Yeah, I know. Marty Feldman? 
Yeah. Yeah. How do you find a dude like that? That I is don't know. crazy. Well, he was a well-known actor at the time. Was yeah. he? Yeah. But again, for playing weird roles like that. It's like a Ripley's Believe It or Not. He is such a freak, isn't he? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my God. Uh, so let's move on to the other Mel Brooks movie. Yes. Which is in stark contrast. It's called <clears throat> Blazing Saddles. Yes. This is my favorite Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of other people's favorite. Yeah. I, again, wouldn't say that it's necessarily better on a technical level, but this to me is the sensibility that I'm looking for in my comedies. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. It is. A, it, it's, it's much funnier. Yeah. This, in my opinion, is probably his funniest film. Right. And... Oh my! Like it's a hard movie to talk about with without getting offensive. Yeah, because a lot of the mo- the funniest jokes are the brutally offensive ones. Yeah, oh for sure. But like my god, like it's it's just and it's aged actually surprisingly well for that reason because of what it chooses to satirize. Right. But at the same time, I I really appreciate it from from for its relationship to film. It's very. I mean, obviously, it's sending up westerns of the time. But at the, again, similarly with with Young Frankenstein, and we were hinting to this as. Uh, for Mel Brooks as a filmmaker is that he just understands the genres he's working in. Right. And yeah, this, you know, operates well enough as a Western at times. At least it certainly looks like a Western. Aesthetically, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there is a frequent use of the N-word in this movie. <laughs> and you would think, like, in hindsight, PC culture would be like, let's cancel Blazing Saddles. Let's burn every DVD copy we have. Yeah. Um, but Mel Brooks is one of those guys because he's so smart and because he's <laughs> yeah. so hilarious that he can get away with just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this movie was not done with care and it wasn't co-written by, for example, Richard Pryor, mm. who is one of the credited screenwriters on this movie, uh, I, I don't think we would still be talking about it today. Probably not. It's very dicey. I don't think a movie like this ever gets made today. No. Never. And it certainly wouldn't use the N-word in it. But I think as Mel Brooks said once in an interview... If you don't have the N-word in it, like, you don't have a movie. I mean, that's, that's true. That, that, is the, that is the movie. It's the over-the-top cartoonish racism <laughs> by these townsfolk, you know? And you can't half-ass that. You have to go all the way with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he just operates with total reckless abandonment, and it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's so... And it works. It's so funny, and it's so transgressive, and it's like, if you're looking for my style of comedy, this is it right here. Just go for it. Don't half-ass it. Yep. You know? and, and everyone's in the film is wonderful though and they understand what they're making and, I, and they're not really afraid to go there no they're not they're not i, I love <laughs> honestly i i can say this joke it's okay are we awake we are not sure are we black yes we are <laughs> then we're awake <laughs> i'm telling you dude when i first heard Clavion Little, who stars in this movie along with Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks, say the phrase, Yo, where are the white women at? <laughs> One of the hardiest laughs I've ever had at a movie. As he's, as he's immediately pursued by the KKK. <laughs> and look what I found. Oh, boys, look what I have here. Hey, where are the white women at? <laughs> So great. And like you forget Mel Gibson all are Oh my god. It's not Mel Gibson. Mel Brooks also like has red face in this movie too. He plays a Native American fellow with a Jewish accent. They darker than us. Woof. So like they really do go for it. Uh but it's Mel Brooks and he's on that very short list of people that can make any joke. Mm-hmm. 
And it works. It works for him. I know. Uh, this thing was nominated for some Oscars. Best film editing, best original song, and best supporting actress for Madeline Kahn. She's so funny in this movie. Oh, she's so great. Oh, my God. I'm so it. tired. Tired of playing the game. <laughs> what is that direction on set? Like, Madeline, I want you to sing this song as if you're the least interested person <laughs> in musical performing in the world. I want you to do it as if you've been up all night. Yeah. They, oh, okay. I guess that is the direction. Uh, AFI named it a little bit higher on the list of its all-time comedies. Number six. Number yep. six. And I think that is just about right. Yep. Uh, in order to ruin a Western town, a corrupt politician appoints a black sheriff who promptly becomes his most formidable adversary. Uh, Richard Pryor initially was the uh, was going to be cast in the main role, but mm. the studio said that his history of drug arrests made him uninsurable. So they refused <laughs> to hire Richard Pryor for the movie. So that's when they bring in Clavion Little. Uh, him and Gene Wilder have just such great chemistry in this oh, yeah. movie. Um, what do you think about the ending? Where they drive away in the... No, what do you think about when the movie breaks the fourth wall and just ends up on the Warner Brothers lot? Spoiler alert. I mean, it's like a completely different film at that point. I don't think the movie gave any indication that it would go in that route I no. mean, that being said it's still i mean it still keeps its tone right it still keeps its attitude correct so for that reason it's like okay i didn't expect that at all right but you know what i mean um, this movie has a fucking toll booth <laughs> <laughs> anybody got a nickel <laughs> so no someone's gotta go back and get a shitload of dimes oh. <laughs> Like that happens in the movie and they're in the middle of a fucking desert. <laughs> so you know what? I'm okay with them breaking the fourth wall, literally. No, I remember seeing it and thinking the same thing. I'm like, this is so metal. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. It was a little later on probably than you did, but I just totally admired it. I admired the whole like, movie's sensibility. Mm-hmm. I just love Dom DeLuise. <laughs> in this scene. You use the word because I don't want to. The word? Yeah. The F word? Yeah. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Come on, you F words. Like watch, this. Watch me. It's so simple. <laughs> oh, my God. Wrong. <laughs> Tom DeLuise is a fucking legend, oh dude. Oh, my God. That guy is so... I. Uh, I love that last 15 minutes, but this whole movie is that. It's just breaking the rules, uh, making cultural references that are way past the time point of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel Brooks is governor character, the womanizing governor who's so cartoonishly evil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just off the chain. And yeah. you would think like, oh, this might be in bad taste. This might be too over the top. Can we ground this story in something? Mm -hmm. Mel Brooks just said, no, I'm going to make a very loud, very explosive movie with several musical numbers, and it's going to look like a million bucks, and we're going to take these Western characters and set them on the Warner Brothers lot. I mean, lampooning everything. Everything. Not just about those characters, but about the Western... the the westerns is almost like an industry of the time yeah because it's it's setting up i mean it's very obvious that it sends that up with the ending and whatnot sure but like at like everything about this movie is just jacked up silliness nothing is safe oh dude. my god no one is safe from mel brooks laugh i'll try to keep it as quiet as possible this one here is the doozy <laughs> <laughs> i said 
He's remember he's hanging the guy and the horse. And the horse. The horse. <laughs> There's a man and a horse being hung out there. Don't worry. Like, like this made the cliche of hanging your 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 villains funny. Right. It's great. Yeah. That I think if you want to summarize the one thing I love about Mel Brooks, and again, it was late in my life that I realized this. No one is safe from him. Yes. Nothing is off limits. He goes for it. And it's really funny. And so you can get away with anything if you're funny. Oh, yeah. That's what I found about life. If you can make people laugh, doesn't matter how offensive it is. That's the line. Unless you're Louis C.K. Unless, well, that's masturbating in front of women is not funny (laughs) at all. Come on. (laughs) Although I've gotten a few chuckles every now and again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. We said it here, folks. Um, I love this movie. So, so Young Frankenstein's your favorite. Blazing Saddles is my favorite. Neither of them, I don't think, will be inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame. But if you had to pick one to get in, what would it be? Oh, boy. You know, honestly, it's probably Blazing Saddles. I think it is, too, yeah. for me. Just because it's a hard R, it goes for it. I think it was more influential at the time mm-hmm. and uh, just funnier. Yep. But I think you're right. Young Frankenstein, a more traditionally good movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on. Yeah. To a movie called The Conversation. One you saw recently. <sighs> Very recently, actually. It's funny we're talking about this now. Yeah, I saw it uh, like a month or two ago. Written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Gene Hackman of Blazing Saddles fame, John Cazale, Harrison Ford, and Robert Duvall. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Sound, a paranoid surve- secretive surveillance expert. A little redundant there, don't you think? Has mm. uh, a crisis of conscience when he suspects that a couple on whom he is spying will be murdered. So, kind of the forgotten Coppola movie. Yes, I agree. I mean, definitely the forgotten Coppola movie. I mean, there's a few out there that uh, that you that I guess a lot of people don't know him. At. I mean, what was his first film actually? I actually don't know that. Rumblefish. I don't know. I think it's Rumblefish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have the Rainmaker in the '90s. You have a few little Coppola movies. That's true. But but this one is is interesting because of how good it is. Yeah, that it would be so forgotten. Mm. Um, happened right after Watergate. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. I okay, think yeah. that's really interesting so maybe, because it's a movie about secret recordings, and we were just rocked by the biggest secret recording scandal the country will have ever seen, so and. I think it's kind of interesting how Watergate plays a role in this movie. Oh yeah, you yeah. think maybe that buried it a little bit? Oh no, I don't. I don't think it buried it at all. I think, uh, I think the fact that it came out the same year as The Godfather Part Two probably buried it. That's true. Yeah, I, I just think like this is in the midst of Coppola's greatest stretch. Mm-hmm. This is sandwiched in between the two Godfathers and Apocalypse Now, yeah. so it's easy to forget it because it's kind of a. It's a small movie, really. It's it doesn't have that high ambitions. Well, that's what I thought when I saw it. Is like this feels like the independent film of his of his filmography. I mean, I mean he's made he made independent films before and whatnot, but this felt like that small like a twenty four esque sure movie, you know. And I mean, it, it a, a lot of it is is just attributed to the fact that I mean it is so film focused. And I mean, all films are film focused, but this one has significantly less dialogue you know it's it's really just about holding on those moments of this guy losing his mind or spying on a conversation but there are like five moments repeated over and over again yeah really the the story is not that expansive it's really tiny no but it's funny how how slowly it unravels but how you it's it i don't know it's interesting how it sort of ratchets ratchets up the tension without you kind of realizing it yeah but it's weird that nothing happens in the movie 
No, not really. Nothing really happens. Well, someone the- is supposedly murdered, right? Sort of. Kind of, we think. By Harrison Ford? Uh, is, is that what happened? Well, what do you think happened? Well, he's part of, more recently than He's me. part of that organization, but in a, if I'm being completely honest, it just seems like uh, Gene, Gene Hackman was letting his... his like It's almost as if he's been doing this for so long and he's been so battered by it that he just thinks up all this crazy shit. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but you know, once it's taken its influence on you, you start thinking just the worst. Because if I'm being honest, based on that ending, it almost makes you think, oh, maybe he's just, he was just out of his mind. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well. I think mm-hmm. you hit the nail right on the head. This is not a sexy CIA thriller. No. This is a dirty mechanical film. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gene Hackman character, as I read in a review by Roger Ebert, I thought he put this wonderfully uh, in his great movie series. Gene Hackman's really bad at his job. Yeah. He's really bad. Like, he lets this hooker sneak in and steal recordings, and his apartment gets bugged, and he's got three bolts on his door, but people keep breaking in somehow, mm-hmm. and he's very sloppy. He's he's uh, he's very easy to detect. Yep. And he's kind of like a schlub. Yeah. You know, he's got this mustache. He's not well-kempt. The only thing he does in his free time is play saxophone by himself. <laughs> um much. And I, I think that's sort of interesting in the era of 24 and Jason Bourne, which is very sexy, very sleek, straight down the middle of the road action movies with attractive leads. To see a movie about the other side of just the battered down, beaten up audio dude <laughs> whose whose career is literally ending people's lives. <laughs> you know, I just think it's such an interesting take because a lesser filmmaker or a lesser writer would have taken a completely different path yeah. with this material. I don't know what it is about this. This movie reminds me uh, aesthetically and, and with some of the movement of it, of, uh, of the, 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 the French connection. And a lot of that is probably also due to Gene Hackman, but there is yeah. something about them. I, I, I was honestly confusing them in my head. Yeah, no, it feels like a deconstruction yeah. of the genre. Yeah. Um, the spy thriller, right? Yeah, essentially. What do you think happened with that blood in the toilet? What's your take on that? Story? Oh, that's so weird. I, yeah. <laughs> hmm. You think that's real or in his head? Oh boy. There's a bit of me that might think it's real. I mean, that's the easy answer, so I don't know. It's possible. Maybe he's just trying to tell himself that it's not actually there. That's another idea. Right. Maybe he's like he's just not willing to accept the fact that, yeah, these people have been brutally murdered in this hotel room, and horrible there. He let it happen, and he's just trying to like like block it out. So first time I saw the movie, the way the music... <laughs> was cued and like the way it was shot mm. it looked like the shining right yeah it, it was very horror influenced and there's not a lot of other horror influences in the movie so i just assumed at the time this is fake yeah but then i thought about it some more and i'm like actually it makes perfect sense for blood to be coming out of that toilet like the dude was definitely murdered in that hotel room that's what we, yeah well that's what i thought anyway i thought it was more strange that he wouldn't have been murdered necessarily right the film plays it though as if it's it it's weird the film sides almost more with like from a visual standpoint that um it, it didn't happen although if you look at the chain of events it's more more likely that it did right so logically in your head it makes more sense that it did happen it's like two different sides of this thing which just makes you go crazy well that's what's happening to gene hackman yeah, right exactly I, I think the effect is exactly what it was supposed to be gene hackman doesn't know if it's real gene hackman doesn't know the web of lies he's been caught up exactly in, you know and he's feeling a lot of regret about it and He's having second thoughts and he's constantly paranoid about mm-hmm. these these devious figures. Yeah. 
he's an unreliable narrator. That's and true. I think the audience gets a similar reaction. This movie is so well directed. I, I and it's so funny. It doesn't feel like it could be made now either, but at the same way it's ahead of its time. Yeah, I agree. Like it predicted a lot of our like technological anxiety. Mm-hmm. The Born series owes a lot to the conversation. Yeah, I agree. You know, um the sort of 1984 aspect of it all, like the the paranoia about constant surveillance and cameras everywhere and social media has only taken it up to a next level. Yeah. Uh but it's very 70s in its direction. Oh, well, I was going to say it definitely with, with the way it zooms in on characters from yes. a still point you know the long takes of just one character like like the dancing scene that goes on forever yep that one sequence the, the level of coverage you know it's not as it's it's not the same le- level of it, it, you, you do get to a point where movies start to cover their subjects more but this one like you know it's 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 more traditional like sticking to wides and whatnot and it but it still works great i think well that was the thing that used to happen in the 70s you'd see a and we never get this anymore. I'd love to... If I ever directed a movie, I'm bringing this trope back because I love it. When you're outside a building and you do the pan and zoom at the same time, yeah. you never see the pan and zoom anymore. Oh, I know. Like when it starts to street level and it goes up and it's And it goes up to the thing. one building. The one like window. But they do it both at the same time really fast. Yeah. I like... But it's like so corny now. You see it and it's like it's like a, a, a smash zoom. There's time... crash there's, zoom rather. Well, every... <laughs> I like crash zooms. <laughs> no, I do too, but you never see those shots anymore. Yeah. The zoom has gone away is my point. Yeah, I agree. What happened to the zoom? I mean, we still get the Wes Andersons and the Tarantinos who still do them. That's, yeah, that's I know, but those are a very rare breed. Yeah, I know. Uh, so the movie's very 70s is my point. And I appreciate yeah. it as a time capsule... But I also think if you watch it now, it it's, it's still awesome. a good movie. Yeah, very good movie. But again, it does at the same time feel like uh, like Coppola going easy at the same. Like it feels like he. It's it sounds weird to say. It feels like he made this movie without trying that hard and still managed to make something really really great. So you only respect Francis Ford Coppola movies if he's cutting <laughs> pigs' heads off. Oh, in the I didn't jungle. say. It. I love this movie. This is a dope movie. No, I understand. It's just the high bar we've given Coppola. I, I guess we're just not fair with Coppola. We're just not sure. We hold him to because he made like three of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, he just makes the conversation. So what? But it, that's what I guess. That's my point. The fact that it just kind of came out and it's just very fluid and natural and artfully done. It just feels like someone you know kind of going with the flow and just so happened to make a, a, an awesome movie. Yeah. You know, doesn't mean it's not like tightly directed and on point and knows exactly what it's doing at, at from for a certain I get there. There are a lot of movies that that feel like they're floating in and out of their story. But and I, I don't know how you describe movies like that. But this one definitely feels like it's it's going at a, at a, at a more casual pace. And it just so happens to turn out that it's an awesome movie. Huh. It, it's hard. To, it, I don't know how you explain that, but I know it when I see it. Are you saying it's too slow? No. It's. I will say that it's slow. Oh, it is definitely slow. But I yeah. wouldn't say too slow. No. Yeah. And also, the ending of this movie just elevates it to oh, another level. Is, it's it's a awesome. full star. The end yeah. of that movie. Love that ending. It's yeah. crazy. A lot of great endings in 1974. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah, I. I, I think uh, the next, including the conversation, the the rest of the movies have incredible endings. I think all four have iconic endings, don't they? Oh my god! Yeah, let's let's get into it. Ready for this? That was the conversation. That was the conversation. Well, not get inducted, by the way. No. But really underrated thriller. I would, I would check it out. All right. So I, uh, I, I watched this today. <laughs> Just like three hours ago. I know. Well, I wanted to watch it in broad daylight. I didn't want to do it. It doesn't night. help. You know why? Because most of the fucking movie takes place in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. 
Uh, it's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. And it's written and directed by Toby Hooper, starring a bunch of people you've never heard of, and I don't think we're ever heard from again, right? Yeah, I Basically. think the main girl was, and Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, appeared in a few other roles, but again, that's the same. As Leatherface, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, two siblings and three of their friends en route to visit their grandfather's grave in Texas, why, I don't know, end up falling victim to a family of cannibalistic sociopaths and must survive the terrors of Leatherface and his family. Uh, based on some real-life murders, this guy, Ed Gain? Gein. Gein. Kind of. Sort I mean, of, kind of. Yeah. But for the most part, fictionalized. Did actually collect... Uh corpses and make lamps out of the skins and wear faces on occasion and made a bunch of like like chandeliers out of bones and all that other crazy shit okay killed three people got it uh but the title card of this movie based on a true story no not accurate no 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 no. not at all actually so you put this best when you texted it to me this afternoon you need a shower after this movie this is one of the most grimy gross revolting movies I've ever seen. Yep. And I've seen some fucked up shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this movie isn't particularly bloody. Nope. Not- There's there there is violence for sure, but not-, not a lot of blood. Very little gore. Right. You would have you would have expected in a movie like this. No, not really. Right. But it is so dirty and I can only imagine going into a movie theater in 1974 and watching something like this. Like I have the privilege of walking into this movie, having seen a Serbian film, an Antichrist and Martyrs. Uh, if I just like walked in cold 1974, <laughs> this is a new era of horror. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would. I definitely would have walked out. Oh, for sure. I would have walked out. Oh, I th- I'm sure many people did. Many people did. Yeah, that is one of the reports. And this was not a critically adored movie at the time, of course, but it's gained cult status. I say it's go beyond cult status at this point. Yeah. Uh so, my question, uh, what is the significance of this movie, and why did you make me watch it? Okay. This is the most important horror film ever made. You say that, like, every week, I feel <laughs> no, like. No, I don't. I feel like you've said that, like, ten times about horror films. You're wrong. Okay. I say Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the most important horror film ever made. This is it. Set the precedent for pretty much everything that is to come. You want the final girl? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You want that hulking asshole of a villain? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the the guy who comes after you with power tools. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this the idea of of like more more youthful people w- w- coming into a situation that they're not familiar with and getting horribly killed. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, basically popularized, basically made slasher movies a thing. Mm. You could maybe cite Psycho, but that's almost a different animal. It's not going for the same things that this one is going for even remotely in my opinion no i wouldn't say that at all yes <laughs> but i mean i don't know i think psycho's probably a little more influential than this one wouldn't you say N- not for the kinds of horror films no okay. i say for cer- certainly not for the slasher genre yeah this well. one set a more obvious precedent okay yes and uh in my opinion is a fucking masterpiece I love this movie. I've only seen it three times because it's a horrible watch. <laughs> it's so unpleasant. It is a, <laughs> This fits squarely into the category of not necessarily scary, but really, really, really horrifying. Yeah. Especially that ending. Oh. <laughs> and I warned you about it. 
was like, you were like, this is so unpleasant. I'm like, <laughs> wait till you get to the dinner scene, my friend. Dude, I said this was unpleasant, though, when the guy walks into the haunted house and there are all those spiders in the corner mm-hmm. making that weird clicking noise. That's what I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Or the dead armadillo at the beginning yeah. that just lingers on <laughs> or all the, the cows. It's like, ugh, that to me, the details the the hitchhiker that cuts his hand oh open God. like that shit the little details are, are what uh disturbed me the most oh and it's everywhere in the movie i mean it never ever ever lets up right like i was ready for some people to die by chainsaw like it's literally what the movie's called yeah, they they do but it's the, the least like like uncomfortable thing about the movie right yeah i was not prepared for all of the gruesomeness on the margins i guess yes um that being said it's like a pretty remarkable work of direction. It's pretty incredible, actually. The yeah. budget was very small. Uh, independent production in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forget exactly who financed it, but it wasn't a huge company. Yep. Toby Hooper got this thing funded, casted a bunch of his friends, and shot in a 16-millimeter camera. Yeah. Looks like a million bucks. I know, right? I mean, looks actually way better than it should. But it's so funny because... I. I I don't I've seen the remakes of this and I'm like Jesus that 16 millimeter even though it's the, the original is very well shot and the composition is great and they actually do a lot of interesting things with the camera the griminess to to the film is so I know I don't know if I've ever seen a, a movie that is that takes that look and it's more applicable right I I couldn't imagine it being filmed any other way I mean I think it's traditionally what you would call the grindhouse movie Right? Yes. Uh, it's an exploitation film for sure. Um, I think now we've come to know them more as mainstream horror movies, but at mm-hmm. the time, like this was just yeah. trash that you played at midnight in your local cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does have that quality to it the film stock, the handheld quality, but still, like the end shot of Leatherface waving the chainsaw around. Looks like the fucking cinematographer from The Godfather shot that shit. I know. It's like artfully done. It's really artfully done. Like where he put, he knows exactly where to put the camera, this Toby Hooper. I mean, there's little things with this movie too. Like I love when, uh, I love when the girl jumps out of the window and she looks up and her face is covered in blood and she's screaming and looking around and then there's that, it's like shot on a long lens and it's like panning around her and she's like looking around trying to run away. Right. It's like stuff like that. I was like, oh, you don't see stuff. Stuff like that happening in horror films ever. Right. And then it just ratchets up and the editing is so good yeah. in that final scene. Oh, my God. I love it. Certainly does hold up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was actually sh- when I first saw it, I was actually amazed by how well this movie actually holds up. Yeah. And I mean, it holds up way better than Night of the Living Dead does. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, tremendously more. I, Night of the Living Dead. I see that and I think, oh, that's an artifact for a museum. And it's cool looking, but. Not really like a movie to me. This is one that I see. I was immersed in it the yes. entire time. I don't see how you couldn't be immersed in this. Yeah. I mean, the acting is awesome. Um, shockingly good, considering these people are nobodies. They were mm-hmm. just doing commercials in Texas for a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's so tense. And like when the girl gets hung up by the hook and Leatherface starts sawing up the other victims, there's such like a brutality to it and a mm-hmm. and a like real documentary sensibility that's, that's what i was gonna say though that is so off-putting and i know toby hooper himself said that was the intention but it's both very stylized but also also all too real it's like subtle brutality yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense well like, I don't know if I would say subtle, but, but certainly not well, not hyperbolized. But that's what I'm saying. Like like brutality can only be so subtle 
and 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 work but this feels like it actually happened right like you watch this and i'm like it's not hard for me to believe that this actually happened which is right. what makes it even more terrifying yeah i mean, I mean the villains are kooky but i believe it though yeah. i mean the whole the whole movie th- thematically is about people who are just pushed to the fringes of society in the 70s mm-hmm. and bringing those people who actually push them to the fringes uh coming into that world and being hoardily uh, mutilated because of this right it's i mean it's about people who essentially represented the west and represented progress with the with the industry with 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 what they were doing capitalism the too. Yeah, exactly yeah. and and just seeing what happens when you when you decide that these people are no longer needed and they just they're just it's crazy it's about you know a dying america mm. which is i think another reason why the movie's so good is that it actually has a lot of interesting thematic elements that we can we can see <laughs> whether we whether we want to or not i could see a lot of people watching this and being like it's so horrible but and, and not addressing the fact that it actually has quite a bit to say about the, the the nature of america at the time yeah um a lot of the thematic stuff I, I read a bunch of think pieces about texas chainsaw in preparation for this and i can't say i buy all of it i, I think some of the readings are a little generous mm-hmm. and i i just think like on the surface, Toby Hooper wanted to make a really scary, gruesome horror movie. Yep. Uh, so, like, I don't want to give it too much credit, but there is a lot of that stuff there. I, I read, I'll read this from Wikipedia. Hooper has cited changes in the cultural and political landscape as central influences on the film. His intentional misinformation that, quote, the film you're about to see is true was a response to being, quote, lied to by the government about things that were going on all over the world, including Watergate, the 1973 oil crisis, and the massacres and atrocities in the Vietnam War. The, quote, lack of sentimentality and brutality of things that Hooper noticed while watching the local news, whose coverage was epitomized by showing brains spilled all over the road, led to his belief that the man was the real monster here, just wearing a different face. So I put a literal mask on the monster in my film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there is some thoughtful stuff going on. I, I, I'm not sure one can really examine all that thoughtful stuff while in the throes of this movie. Because it is a slasher movie, and it's hard to watch, and it's grimy, and it's inevitable, and it's just a slog at times. But yeah, I think in hindsight, this is a pretty remarkable movie yes. that I wish I never saw. <laughs> but that's what I'm... Th- like, this feels like the, the slasher horror film version of like a, a guy painting. It's like he doesn't necessarily fully understand everything he's doing, but there's something back there that's telling him to make this stroke right. and telling him to add this detail here and there. That's what this movie feels like more than anything to me. I once got into like a, like a mild argument with uh, Abby's dad about this movie because okay. he's a big cinemaphile like me. But I was like, I think the movie's really artfully done. And his reaction was like, he was like shocked that I would even suggest such a thing. And I was like, well, did you ever think about this? Did you ever look at the fact that this movie is like, like directed to a T it's incredibly well done. I mean, even though, yeah, the content is a little repulsive. It doesn't mean that there's nothing there or no merit to it. Mm. It's certainly earned in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that was a lot of the response at the time. I think he was just mirroring what most reviews yeah. were, which is, and I mean, I understand this is trash. Yeah, I, get, I mean, this I, is B movie exploitation trash and I get it. it I, I, it's like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I disagree. Yeah. Um, I would not recommend this to anyone. <laughs> I recommend it to horror fans, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose, if that's what you're into. But it, it really is one of the more troubling, unsettling movies you're ever going to see. It is so uncomfortable. Like I said, more horrifying than scary. It's right next to like Midsummer in those ways. You know? Right. So you watch this and you just feel 
like sick afterwards hmm. and i mean but it's it's just so well done though i can't i can't really ignore it and it's incredibly impactful yep i mean yeah you don't have a, a, almost an entire chunk of the industry without this movie yep and uh oh my god was it? I was going to say one other. Oh, and inspired a lot of filmmakers, of course. I mean, it's been cited time and time again. The most notable is actually Nicholas Winding Refn. So if you can thank. There's nothing notable about Nicholas Winding Refn. You can thank Texas Chainsaw. Let's be very clear about something. There's plenty. There's notable. nothing notable. Oh, Have you watched that goddamn Amazon show yet? No. Too old to die young. Did you? No. But no. you need to do it and report back to me. Okay. As the Nicholas Winding Refn correspondent of this <laughs> podcast, because I like most of his work that shows like 20 hours long but it's yeah. only 10 episodes yeah I know. and ref and i believe said in an interview you should be able to watch it out of order <laughs> here's my problem is like and i've said this before it's like ref like you would be like this the one of the greatest filmmakers working in Settle the industry down. today Settle down. if you just shut your fucking Settle ma- down he just needs to shut up he needs to stop talking that's who he is dude oh it sucks He's not one of the finest working <laughs> Certainly with what he does, I agree with that. With the types of movies he's making, like 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 upscale trash, definitely. <laughs> but yes, this is his too. this is this movie is his Bible. This is the movie that made him want to make movies. Explains a lot. Yes. <laughs> his literal Bible. <laughs> where he follows it for yes. guidance on morality. Uh, <laughs> running around with a chainsaw. Explains so much. By the way, that chase scene at night. Oh, amazing. Oh, my God. It's tense. I mean, what a great villain. And it goes on forever. Yeah. It doesn't stop. I love that about this movie, how it doesn't stop on the uncomfortable moments. It just pushes it further and further and further. Like the scene where the guy was sucking on her finger. Oh, the grandpa! Oh, my So, God. is that grandfather he's meant to be a realistic portrayal of a human being or is that supposed to be like a zombie type thing he's like next to dead like okay he, he's like he's like tomorrow he's going to die because yeah, the movie sort of ventures into zombie territory there. he's not a zombie but he's like they're just like barely keeping him alive okay and the where he's trying to like put him in like like hit her over the head with a hammer and it just, again it just goes on and on and they're hitting her right and like like kind of kind of getting her but and then you get really. a gash you see one of the gashes oh, on the yeah top. and she starts yeah. bleeding and they do it again it's just like oh my god she movie. was so blood soaked by the end of this whole thing. like it, it's so brutal although there's not a ton of blood in the movie you don't see a lot of the gore but when she's running around just with this blood soaked blouse on and she finally gets on the truck and you're able to just sort of breathe a sigh of relief mm-hmm. but you're right it's so frenetic and it keeps going 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 to the point where uh, Leatherface is still swinging the chainsaw around. I know. He's like a, a rabid dog. He just keeps coming for you. I know. It never, ever stops. It's freaky as hell. I, yeah. oh God, I like... Oof. So, it just just it just makes me so anxious watching this movie. It's such an anxiety-inducing <laughs> oh, yeah, movie. Okay. Let's go now. We're crossing off all four of those. No, we're not. Oh, we're not? Oh, God. Is that what we're doing? This is where it's going? Okay. I know what my two are. <sighs> boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's talk about The Godfather Part 2. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of things to read here, so bear with me. Written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yep. Starring, you know, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, John Cazale, Talia Shire, Lee Strasberg, Michael Vigazzo, and Robert De Niro. Nominated for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, 
and Best Costume Design, winner of Best Score, Best Art Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro, and of course, Best Picture. Number 58 on AFI's all-time movie quotes list. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Number three on their gangster film list behind, you know. The Godfather. And? Goodfellas? Yeah. And uh, number 11 on their villains list. Kind of strange here. What do you think about that? Michael Corleone, number 11 on their villains list. I mean, in a way, I Uh, guess. I don't don't like that choice. Seems like a stretch. And number 32 all time. Mm Mm-hmm. The early life and career of Vito Corleone in the 1920s New York City is portrayed while his son Michael expands and tightens his grip on the family crime syndicate. I've got a ton to say about this movie, so I'm going to let you get it all off your chest first. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, stop. Don't begin. No, no, no. Hey, look at me. No. Do not begin your review of one of the great films of all time with... Eh, I don't know. I love this movie. Okay, okay. All right. Good. Keep going. But I've only seen it once. Okay. <laughs> I've seen it more than that. I don't remember all of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's a it's a great, yeah. wonderful, epic yeah. of a of a movie. That's it's it's complicated. And it's a little hard to follow at times. Hard to follow. Yeah. Hard to follow. There's a lot going on. Uh, but it's it's. I mean. I mean, some of the, again, like, I don't know what to say about this movie that hasn't been said before. I mean, I could, I could very easily just say that, you know, like the, the fact that it's both a sequel and a prequel is pretty awesome. Yeah. I think both stories are masterfully interwoven with one another and complement each other perfectly Yeah, with a rise and a fall story, which is completely earned a rise and a fall that explains the rise and the fall yes like they complement each other one story explains something about the other and yeah. vice versa and it feels like you couldn't have one without the other oddly yeah no for sure yes. like you learn why Vito became a great godfather and why michael will never be a great godfather mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. one was born from the streets he had to immigrate from sicily uh he had to learn things on his own and Michael is kind of this privileged kid that was thrown into dad's business who, you know, fought for his country and tried his best to make his own way in the world, yep. but didn't have the same experience growing up, mm-hmm. you know, and Vito handled his business with such care and consideration and tenderness and love and uh, yes, a profound love and empathy for those in New York with him mm-hmm. for his fellow man. And Michael is just trying to follow Daddy's footsteps. Yeah, and he feels a little more, like, much more sinister. Oh yeah, I mean, very, like, I do understand. I do kind of understand why they were coming from when they described him as the villain, and maybe he is the villain. Yeah, and because he, he's, he's a bad guy, I he's a horrible. Him. I think he's a horrible guy. Yeah, actually. he's a pretty horrible. Guy. I mean, in this movie, he's really fucking bad. Yeah, and you definitely feel that. I mean, I, and yeah, um, I I do think it's a case where it's like I like half of the movie just a little bit better than the other half. Which one do you like better? I like Vito's story much okay. more. Yeah. Much more. I just think it's wonderful. Okay. What's the better performance? For me personally? Yeah. Ooh. You know, I mean, I do love Robert De Niro. 
there is that the De Niro had to learn Sicilian. I know. Had to learn the, the Sicilian dialect for this. She spent three months in Italy. Geez, you're just crazy obsessed, aren't you, Coppola? <laughs> you can't just hire someone who's Sicilian. You think De Niro's the better performance? The scene where Al Pacino uh, uh, goes at Diane Keaton yeah. for the abortion. Slaps her, yeah. Is the most remarkable piece of acting I think I've ever seen. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you're I entirely it. right on that. So I go Pacino for that scene alone. Let me just get ahead of myself for a second. <laughs> I love the movie, Nico. Hang on. Wait, Don't wait, get let me, me just get, let me get ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah. um, Art Carney was in a movie called Harry and Tonto. Oh, yeah. And he won Best Actor. He right? won Best Actor. Is that the biggest screw job in the history of the Oscars? Yeah. I think it is. I think we found it. Okay. We've talked about many a screw job. How in the world... Does Pacino not win for this? I don't know. How in the world do they give it to him for Scent of a Woman and they don't give it to him for this movie? (laughs) What else can a man do in a movie? Seriously. Yeah. He's all over the place in this. (laughs) He's beating up his wife. He's disowning his brother. He's he's taking care of his kids. He's wheeling and... This guy goes from zero to a hundred. But it's he never overacts. That's no. the thing. This is the sweet spot of Pacino. I was gonna say like he's actually very controlled here. He's so controlled. I mean, he needs to for this character to work. But of course, which it makes it so scary when he actually like lashes out. It's one of the things I love so much about these movies is that when characters lash out against each other, it's actually terrifying. Yeah, it's actually really scary because you know something really ugly is about to happen. Right. And oh my god, when Michael gets pissed it's just freaky sure i love the scene where he's like he's like a hawk and he's telling his sister not to be with this guy yeah. in that room right unbelievably well shot by the way right? way and directed and oh, the, yeah. the 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 blocking of those actors to, the, the way the, it tells you so much about where they are in this story and so much about the relationship it's just, oh, it's well genius. michael and fredo too having the conversation yeah at the lake house oh my god it's perfect. i'm smart it's not like everybody says <laughs> I'm not dumb Fredo, you're nothing to me. You're nothing to Oh, my God. <laughs> but, and then he goes, nothing happens before my mother passes. I want nothing while my mother's alive. Oh, my God. It's just like, but, you know, even in that scene, you talk about the blocking, though. Yeah. Him slouched over on the chair, yeah. just a defeated man. And there's Michael, walks up to him, does the leg cross thing. Yep. And that, by the t- that point in time in the movie, it's like, oh, Michael means business. He's crossing his legs. You know, that's when you know, like, something sinister is about to happen. He's going to say the coldest shit imaginable. Yep. Um, that stuff is so moving. Mm-hmm. It really is. And to look at a character like Fredo, who in the first movie is great. John Cazale is, of course, immaculate in both of these films. But the first movie, he's sort of a punchline. Kind it's of. Sort of like, oh, he's just the middle child. Fredo's kind of dumb. No one takes him seriously. Never t- takes sides against the family in public. Whatever. To mine that much heart and soul out of that character in part two is a goddamn miracle. I know. What they do with Fredo and Michael in this um, is the most tragic thing I think I've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Oh, yeah. And then you get to that dinner scene at the end. And oh, when, boy. when Michael is announcing to his family that he's getting called over to the war and Fredo's the only one that's supportive of him. And oh, my God, dude. It's really tragic. And that's you a, broke my heart, Fredo. And he gives him a kiss ahead of time. The most violent kiss in the history of cinema. I know. It's it's horrible. 
but it's oh my god it's it's just it really does break your heart it is yeah because you get this it's just the fact that like the the brother that was always there for you and you feel you he's like your dog yeah exactly he just doesn't know any better in a lot of ways i've always read it that way it's like i feel like fredo didn't mean to do what he did no of course he didn't yeah so so it's it's just michael you know feels like he doesn't have any other choice well he's also incredibly paranoid and is removing everyone from his life essentially yeah i know um i mean he tells Tom Hagen to go fuck off at the end. Yeah, I know. Just like, how can, Tom's been there for you the whole way. Like, Tom's a consanguary. But that's the point, though. It's like, again, a tragic downfall for this guy. And it's one of the great, like, downfall stories. It's much better than Scarface. Oh, please. <laughs> what are we even talking about? Oh, we'll talk about Scarface eventually. Yeah, we will. Um, I, I mean, it's just a better performance than Scarface. Oh, my God, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, will you entertain the fact that this is better than the first movie? Yeah, I could entertain it. I don't know if I completely agree. Okay. It's certainly, it's arguably the best sequel ever made. Oh, it's by far and away the best sequel ever made. I don't oh, know. stop it. What are you, Halloween Part 2? I mean, what, what, what's your choice? Halloween 2018. That's, that's oh, right, yeah. Oh, God. That's my answer, yeah. What's, what's your best sequel of all time? Uh, God. The only one I put even close is Silence of the Lambs. That's it. I guess you could call that a sequel. It is a sequel. I mean, not in that canon. Yeah, it is. Same story. No, because of Red Dragon. Kind of makes Silence of the Lambs not a sequel. Oh, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn, good point. Okay, yeah. so it's this one then. <laughs> I I go, like, my, my contenders, I have, like, let's see. I go, like, there's... This is a good Twitter list for you. There's, like, yeah, well, yeah, I've always been meaning to do best sequels list. I mean, there's Empire Strikes Back. There's Terminator 2. There's 2049. There's Aliens. Uh, and then there's this. None better than this. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. Stop. None better mm. than this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's close. I can't believe you're going to argue against this movie right now. I can't believe this is what we're gearing up for. It's pretty crazy that this is what's happening. I I, I don't know. I mean, the problem is that I love. I mean, that first movie. I just I just I think I like it better. No, I I do too. I think by far and away the first one is better. It's more quotable. Some more... people would disagree though. No, I know. I mean, this is I guess a taller task. It's a more sprawling story. You got to tell two parallel stories in a compelling way. It's a it's damn near perfect follow up. Yeah. Yes. Well, it it's you know what? It feels like a necessary sequel. Sure. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, all those sequels I just mentioned are great to me because it feels like that story needed to be told. Yeah. That's why I love all those movies. Right. So, sure. Um in that way, I just can't separate these two movies. It's like yeah. they're all just The Godfather. Well, not Godfather Part Three, but the first two—that's the story. You hate The Godfather. Of course, I do. Any any sensible human being would hate The I Godfather. I don't hate The Godfather Three. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as this. Oh, I don't. Please. I don't think it's that bad. I've always watched them, been like, it's good. It's good. Yep. I mean, it's not a masterpiece like these, <laughs> but like. For like any other, like if these movies never existed, I get that they exist. Don't go there. Yeah. But like if if these movies never came out, it's like this is a pretty damn good uh, 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 mobster movie. It's a solid fucking mobster movie. The only issue is that it's next to these like mammoth of films. Uh, like American Shakespeare, essentially. That's the issue. Like this is America's contribution to the world in yeah. terms of art. The only reason Godfather 3 is sullied is because of these other two films. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty damn good reason, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> you know, doesn't mean. Like, but I'm just saying, in a bubble, I think it's perfectly good. I also wanted to just note uh, this movie has a lot to say about being an American. 
And it's one of those things that is not often talked about because it's a movie about family, first and foremost. And that's ultimately what elevates this mob story, traditional mob story, to the next level. But a lot of this is about the struggles of being an immigrant and what it means to be an immigrant and the corruption of the American government and how you maneuver within it. Uh, Michael goes from a guy in this movie who fought and was willing to die for his country to a guy that is openly fighting senators uh, at a court hearing mm-hmm. um, and and comes to loathe his country, really. Yeah. And the uh, this position that's been thrust upon him. Whereas Vito was a guy that grew up admiring this country and the yeah. opportunity that it presented him. Um, and sort of strangely, he's more American than Michael will I ever know. be. Yeah. Um, I just think it's an awesome, in a weird way, love letter to America, but also uh, an indication how difficult that relationship can be sometimes. Well, if you watch both of these films next to each other, it does say a lot about, I guess you could call the American experience. The American dream, I would say. Yeah, but also just generationally, generationally how that changes. Yeah. You know, because what you said is completely true, where it's like someone like Vito would admire America more. And most people do. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who's lived there, lived here our entire lives, us millennials, fuck America. You right. Know? Right. It's so true now. You could see that movie yeah. today and it exactly. would it would ring true. These yeah. movies haven't aged a day. And of course, the first movie begins. I've always believed in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, it's just you're left with Michael alone. His family's abandoned him. His best friends abandoned him. He shot his brother in the back of the head mm-hmm. while he's fishing. And your mom's gone. Which, now what's left? Which makes the third one all the more unnecessary. For yes. Me. Thank you. I, uh, and that's my greater issue with the third one is because it's essentially thematically telling the same story. Yes. No, it, it, the line, once I thought I was out, they pull me back in, is literally about the studio making Coppola do this movie. Man. <laughs> That's literally what it is. I agree. It's a meta on the movie. Mm-hmm. We thought we were done, but you're pulling us back in and suckering <laughs> us at the box office. Uh, no reason to do Godfather 3. No, that I agree. Unnecessary. Couple little things, then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brando and De Niro are, of course, the only two actors to ever win separate Oscars we're playing the same character. Maybe that will change. That may change this year. I hope it changes so bad. We'll see. <laughs> Joaquin. Yep. Who knows? That'd be so bizarre, wouldn't it? Oh my God, it'd be awesome. Coppola had a horrible time directing The Godfather. We'll go over that story when we get to 1972. And asked to uh, pick a different director for the sequel. He did not want to direct Godfather Part 2. Wow. While taking the title of producers for himself. That's what he wanted. Okay. Who do you suppose he recommended to the studio to direct this movie? Uh, was it one of his contemporaries? No, it's a young little up-and-coming filmmaker at the time. That we know about? Named Martin Scorsese. Oh! oh so it was one of his contemporaries. Sure, but he had not made it yet. Really? Uh, would you call, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't they, consider them contemporaries, would you? They're, they're the film brats, dude. And they were good friends. Like well, oh, I guess, yeah. They're very good friends. I guess one was Taxi Driver, 76? Yeah. Okay, fine. Very well. I would have loved to have seen the Scorsese version of this. Sure. Um, film studios rejected it. So Coppola agreed to do the movie himself with a few conditions. Okay. So Also, James Caan returned as Sonny. Yep. Have you seen this one? <laughs> no. He demanded to be paid the exact same salary he made in the previous movie <laughs> for one scene. For one scene, yeah. And they gave it to him. Oh, my God. What a dick. <laughs> Much like the character of Sonny. Dude, feels like something Sonny would have actually requested. Your career high is Elf. Get over it. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Uh, all right, let's talk about Chinatown. Yeah, let's talk about Chinatown. Roman Polanski directed this flick. Yes, he did. Uh, former movie Hall of Fame inductee mm-hmm. for Rosemary's Baby. Starring Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, and John Huston. Nominated for Best Picture. Director, actor, actress, film editing, art direction, costume design, cinematography, sound, and score. But only took home one Oscar that fateful evening. It was Best Original Screenplay. I know how this movie doesn't win score. It pisses me off that this movie doesn't win score. But, well, Godfather got No, it. but the Godfather already had it with last year. It's like, yeah, we've established this theme. And Chinatown's uh, Trumpets by Jerry Goldsmith is unbelievable. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so. I probably would have given it to Chinatown. I fucking love this. this. It's one of the most haunting and beautiful scores I think ever composed. Number 16 on AFI's thriller list, 16 on their villains list, 74 on their quotes list, 9 on their score list, 2 on their mystery film list, and number 19 all time, just a tick above Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. A private detective hired to expose an adulterer finds himself caught up in a web of deceit, corruption, and murder. Talk about Chinatown, please. It's my favorite film on the list. Okay. By a significant margin. Significant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Significant. I love this movie. Really? I love literally everything about this movie. And it's amazing because it's, it is the prototypical neo-noir. Yeah. Did not set every precedent, but certainly made it known that it was a thing. Yeah. You know? Blade Runner's the movie that kind of took it and made it what it is, but this said, okay, this is possible. And uh, it's remarkable. And even though it's a somewhat complicated script as well, and usually scripts like this kind of bother me, there's something about it and how we're carried through it with uh, Jack Nicholson's character that I just love. And I I love getting involved with this mystery and i love the, the the ups and the very dark downs that this movie goes to and that i i just think everything about the movie is is fun, like it's tense as hell and I, I didn't expect it to be nearly as tense and, and and menacing as it can be at times and i think everyone in the movie is is great and i i can't sell faye dunaway short i can't sell john houston short no as this very unconventional villain and just gross horrible human being yeah and oh my god he, he's like a he's like an orangutan he's weird <laughs> that's it oh the, i was gonna say where did i hear that before someone said that david fincher said that that jack yeah. houston in chinatown or john houston in chinatown the orangutan yeah yeah i was gonna say he he did a commentary on this movie because it's one of his favorite films yeah he did it with robert townshend and uh yeah it's like i don't know like how they found John Houston for this role. It's a strange thing for him to do, but he is so perfect. He's, he's almost simian in the way he moves. It's very strange, you know? Hmm. I think he hit on a couple great points. First of all, Jack Nicholson is incredibly underrated in this Yes. Movie. And that's a weird thing to say because it's an iconic performance, but it's not really put up there with some of his all-time best characters, and it is. Mm-hmm. There's a real reserved quality to him. Perhaps the most understated I think he's ever played one of these roles. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a traditional movie star role, kind of, but he is not like a traditional private eye that screams a lot and is always on the case. There's a real subtlety to it that carries you through. And I, and I think you're 100% right. It, it's what leads to the dour quality, especially in that ending. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a downer movie. It's a, oh, yeah. It's very much so a downer movie. It's very cynical, but it makes perfect sense considering when this film came out and Robin Polanski's filmography. Yeah. Because 
Sharon Tate was murdered right <laughs> directly after com- uh, completing Rosemary's Baby right and then he has a few years to stew he's and, in Poland and this is what he comes up with right yeah. well so the original script the ending was not supposed to look that way yeah so um, Polanski insisted on changing it he said I want to if this movie is going to be anything if it's going to be remembered if it's going to be special we have to end it in a non-traditional way mm-hmm. we can't just have the hero triumph and the bad guy shot dead, the end. So he comes up with this ending where Faye... Well, sp- I'm sorry, spoiler alert for Chinatown if you haven't seen it. Uh, Faye Dunaway dies after um, telling Jack Nicholson that her father raped her as a child. Um, dies in a shootout. And then just walks away from the whole thing. And the cop just goes, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. It's nothing you can do. It happens. Nothing you can do. That's law and order. That's justice sometimes. Oh, it's such a defeating devastating ending it's one of the best dev- quote-unquote devastating endings in film you can't just bog yourself down with with the harshness of the world or else it's going to kill you i mean really that's what the line is saying yeah, exactly you linger too much on this you're not going to be able to go on but it's horrible like like she gets like she talks faye dunaway's character has like a birthmark in her eye that she's talks about a lot but that you know i think she kind of oddly loves and makes it a little bit of her that makes her unique and she gets that eye shot out at the end yeah and then the her father who raped her takes her daughter away from her and covers her eye right (laughs) a little little horrible detail there again (sighs) taking away what made you special or took taking away what gave you any life it's oh it's so terrible it's such a devastating (laughs) ending but you understand, yeah, Roman Polanski would have made this movie after his wife was brutally murdered by a cult. Yeah. Yeah, that, this is exactly right. Mm-hmm. He returns to L.A. to shoot this movie, by the way, something that he did not want to do. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Um, and yeah, I just think that's what he was feeling at the time. Yeah. My wife was murdered and no one cares. Although people do care, it feels like no one cares. Yeah, I'm There's sure. no getting her back. Uh-huh. And in order for me to continue on... I gotta just let it go. I gotta vent this out and never look or look, you know leave it in the past. I guess. Yeah, and man, that's a that's a real telling thing about Roman Polanski. And, and I don't know if he was a child rapist before his wife was murdered, but like it would certainly go on to explain a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. He's a. I mean, he's a Holocaust survivor too. Did right. You, did you know that? Yeah. 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 Oh no, the guy has lived a traumatic life. Um, it happens to also be a monster, but a traumatic life. Yep. Just put out something at Venice. Yeah, that won the jury prize next to Joker. That is so weird. That that was the strangest <laughs> film festival event. <laughs> I gotta think be ever. of all time. Like. The Joker wins the golden the lion. golden lion. I'm like I was in I was I was in the car w- w- with Abby and I was like holy shit <laughs> I said the same thing Joker just won the fucking golden lion what the fuck Oscar season begins now motherfuckers and she, but we are off to the races I was like holy fucking shit Joker's gonna win best picture I know <laughs> that's, what, that's exactly right it's like what the hell and Roman Polanski's gonna win best director crazy. It was a real The festival season Has just been off the chain This year It just injected New life into me I'm like Holy shit Movies are cool again Right (laughs) (laughs) Right I don't have to Go through Ten months of uh, Green book discussion (laughs) Again We could actually Talk about the Joker Let's never do that again Please guys I'm good I'm good Jesus I've had enough Well like shame on you Oscar Seriously (laughs) 
what the fuck were you thinking? Anyway. Um, yeah, I look that ending elevates this movie. Like I said earlier, with Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, like and the conversation too. The ending of this movie elevates it to a new tier. I agree. Um, I think it's a fairly standard noir movie. Otherwise, I'm, I'm sure a great one and one that would be remembered. But it's a little. It's even. I mean, again, it's sort of puts that 70s attitude to it it's much more brutal and unforgiving and cynical right and not to say that noirs aren't cynical but this one again just brings it into that era and again the it, good guy doesn't win no no ultimately the good guy doesn't win but again puts an interesting spin on the the femme fatale where it's actually someone he cares quite a bit about because traditionally femme fatales are dangerous and you don't they well she appears dangerous but she's not well, it's it's her circum the circumstances surrounding her are, is what makes her dangerous. But she herself is not actively trying to get at this guy. Yeah, it just you know it ends up turning out that she kind of ruins his life. Sure, you know emotionally anyway. Whereas femme fatales traditionally are like violent and murderous, and you get too close to the snake, it's going to bite you. Right. Yeah, it's a deconstruction of all old noir movies. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, we're going to talk about the the uh, the rubric for crowning a winner in a second. Um, when we talk about influence, certainly this movie was. Influential, um, very. Influential. I don't think it was the most influential movie on this list, just because the, the Roman Polanski's playing off a genre that had been around for thirty years and had been the most popular genre in Hollywood at the time. So maybe you know, it, it didn't by any means invent the noir. It it certainly brought noir into the mainstream yeah. for a modern yeah. audience, though. If you want to call neo noir a genre, it invented neo noir. But again, you need noir of course to to get that in the first place right i think i do think they're fairly different but again there it's it's like it's like a sequel right yeah, yeah you don't sure. have one without the other and you know even one has a relationship with the other they're still their own animal speaking of sequels do you know there's a sequel to this movie yeah i didn't know that until today mm-hmm. the two jakes was yep. released in 1990 again starring jack nicholson who directed the movie yep and robert town who wrote the original script returned to write the screenplay what was it okay apparently not good okay i I wasn't sure how it was yeah it's just this was supposed to be a trilogy i guess it was supposed to be like a natural resources trilogy where this corporate entity is controlling the water supply the oil supply and land okay um so the second one is about oil okay um by the way i don't find i think on the surface that whole subplot with the water Sounds kind of homework-y. Yeah, well, that was the thing that threw me off when I first saw it. I was like, it's about this? Right. Really? Like, okay. But I think you actually do get into it pretty uh, uh, pretty effectively. Well, it's such an, like a real-world thing, though. Like, the idea of just this evil corporation controlling your water. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. And actually, like, taking out jobs away from people and causing a dry spot that, you know, makes people essentially die or, 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 or get out of the job because, you know. Just to make it more affordable exa- for them. Exactly. Yeah. They're just, yeah, exactly. Just stealing money. Right. Stealing your livelihood. It's a classic. Yes. It's a phenomenal movie. Yes. Uh, and now we get to the hard part where we figure out which one of these is going to get it. So I'm going to let you make your absurd argument. <laughs> um, as I just say, Godfather Part 2 is like one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And along with the original movie, changed cinema forever. Um, and we are indebted to it as one of the great works of art America has ever produced. So now it's your turn. I don't know. We would have been fine without it. <laughs> Fuck off. <dude>. I <laughs> Fuck off. I straight up don't want to nominate or, or put it in. I'd rather put in either Chinatown or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw ain't getting in. I'm telling you right now it ain't getting in. I, I'm telling you right now. I would love it if it got in. 
you know, the, the my only issue is that like boiling it down to Godfather Two and Chinatown. I don't know; they're just so obvious. If, yes, if, it would be nice if we inducted an important <laughs> movie that you know give our list some variety. I don't know; we're starting to feel more like the Oscars. Well, okay. We still have yet to nominate or induct a movie that won Best Picture, though. I don't care. We're still kind of nominating, like, the or inducting the obvious ones to me. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Of course, you'd put in The Godfather or Chinatown, but what about, like, you know, the most influential horror film ever made? Cause then, then well, we put Alien in. Like, we've done we, the one genre that we haven't given its time is comedy. Like, there are yes. no straight comedies in That's there That's true, yeah. And we had a few opportunities to do it, and we didn't do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, theoretically, that would be an opportunity this year. True. Like, there is a there is a bit of me that almost does not want to induct either Chinatown or The Godfather Part Two. There's the, Here's the problem, though. Those <laughs> movies are so far and away superior to the other four. Like, I can at least make an argument. We come back to Rosemary's Baby a lot. Rosemary's Baby is maybe in the same class as 2001 A Space Odyssey. Maybe. Yeah. These four movies are not in that class, dude. Like, those those movies no. are... Come on. I would argue that it's just... That Texas Chainsaw is just as important as those other two films. Perhaps. But it can't win quality, bro. I'm sorry. So what? Well, let's go through it. Well, we talked about quality and how, you know, I think we sort of discussed this on the last podcast. And you know what? I agree with Nick. Impact is more important to me than maybe anything. So here's what we need to do. Yeah. You need to get together with the committee of the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. The board, assemble the board, and we need to maybe take a look at the criteria. Yeah. Maybe we need to discuss that off air. But for now, we have that criteria. So here's how I say it. If you want to give Texas Chainsaw Massacre influence... I will. I give it impact. Half-heartedly, I will half-heartedly give you impact. <laughs> half-heartedly, but it's a very soft one. Uh, Godfather Two to me seems like the most iconic. And if you want to make an argument for Chinatown as quality, that's fine. Um, seems to me though, there's only one movie that we can both agree on because you have somehow taken this uh, controversial hot take. I mean, this is really like blasphemous shit. And and tried undermining Godfather Part Two for the sake of this podcast. It's fine. It's just it's it's also dampened by the fact that I I'm going to you know we're, you and I both are going to put in the first Godfather. Yes. So it it certainly mitigates the fact that you know you know it, less, it lessens my enthusiasm for putting in this one. It really does. Um, I'll go with you on Chinatown if you want to go there. <laughs> It's a big part of me that wants to put in Texas Chainsaw. And there is no part of me that wants to put Texas Chainsaw in. Yeah. It ain't happening. Why not? We're not putting this movie in the Movie Hall of Fame. It's my Movie Hall of Fame. Nico's name's on it as much as Adam's is. Texas Chainsaw ain't getting in there, bro. Mm. I cannot in good conscience, when we build a physical space for the Movie Hall of Fame someday, (laughs) when we erect a structure... There's no way I am paying homage to the one of the most unpleasant movie experiences of my life. As well made as it may be. And there's even a bit of me that makes me think it's a slightly more remarkable than Chinatown. You just said Chinatown's your favorite movie on the it list. It is my favorite What's movie. What's the problem here? There's a bit of me that almost wants to say Texas Chainsaw. I'm better. meeting you halfway and you won't even meet me there. Mm. Fuck it. I'm voting for Blazing Saddles now. You want Blazing? Okay. <laughs> Okay. No, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> you want Blazing Saddles to get in? I'll go Blazing Saddles. Will you call, call my bluff? Are you calling my bluff right now? Blazing Saddles gets it? No. 
My vote is Godfather Part 2. You won't go with me on that. Nah. I will reach across the aisle and I will say I'm okay with Chinatown. Ugh. Ugh. But you've got to agree right now. I, I ugh. Like, my, my heart is honestly with the horror movie here. Oof. Oof. This is interesting, folks. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, beca- it becomes a troubling list for me. <laughs> it just does. A, a troubling movie hall of fame. <laughs> We have time. You know, this, we can we can this this movie has a place in yes. the movie Hall of Fame. That's all I'm saying. And Chinatown doesn't? Well, they I'm saying The all, Godfather Part 2 doesn't? All three of these certainly do, but like, you know, you, you could do another podcast later where it's like greatest movie sequels, you know, and then, then induct Godfather 2, which we will probably do. So on that criteria, I'm comfortable not not considering Godfather 2 right now. Then I think Chinatown is the obvious choice. But then I say like, oh. I'll make a deal with you. Okay. Because this is what it's come to now. I can't believe you're making me do this. <laughs> I can't believe you're not going with me on Chinatown. <laughs> I will allow you to nominate four movies next week to my two movies. Oh, God. Uh, I will let you control next week. If you give me Chinatown. <laughs> I don't. Why is it so hard to fight on behalf of Chinatown? I don't understand. I don't know if I want to take that deal. <laughs> There's no way Texas Chainsaw Massacre gets in. Why not? I'm telling you right now. Why we could sit here for a half hour and have this conversation. It's not getting there. We can induct both. No fucking both. Why not? No both. Why not? It don't work that way. No two winners. I know after last week that you and Nick have softened up this process. No way, bro. One winner in Thunderdome. Well, Max did let the guy live. What's it going to be, sweetheart? (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) I still think I want to go Texas Chainsaw. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, so... I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, (laughs) fine, you get to pick next week. You get to pick. You get to pick. It's yours. What do you mean? What's the deal? You there? get next week's inductee. You can choose what you want. Oh, okay. Is that the deal? I can't believe I have to offer this, but that's the deal, and that's my final offer. To put in a movie that you say is your favorite on the list! You just said to me, Chinatown's your favorite movie! What culture?! I, I'm going to spring some something on you just in a bit. First of all, deal. Okay. Shake my Jesus shake my hand. Christ, my God. For the record, I'm going to wait till the sense. Because you're going to blow your fucking mind. Was right this now. a bluff? It was my plan all along. Oh God. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, "Give me autonomy for next week." <laughs> I know exactly what's happening. Oh, I know where this is going. You have sullied this process, sir. It's a big fuck you. You have sullied. This is what you get, you motherfucker. Have, you have sullied this process. <laughs> I understand now. It's a war now. It's war. It's here. And I will show no mercy next week. I will have you. I'm going to make you watch so much garbage. Oh, I cannot wait. Yes. I enjoy watching movies, though. <laughs> 
hey, I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre three times. I think I can. I think I can handle this. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Here we go. I, I have no shame this. not nominating certain movies. Let's do. All right, Chinatown is in the Movie Hall of Fame. Okay, guys, there it is. Oh, you know, we picked the perfect year for me to torture you with. Let's see. What are we going to do? All right. We're talking about the year 1998. 1998. Next week, here are the nominees. Mm-hmm. I'm starting. Okay. Rounders. Let's go. Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Uh, out of Sight. The Big Lebowski. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> now what do you do? No, I have. Take that. I have a really bad feeling about what's coming. I just have a really bad feeling. Uh, Rushmore. And uh, fuck it, Armageddon. Armageddon? Oh, it has no place being nominated. I just felt like nominating it because, ha. This is what we're doing now. Well, <laughs> the, the podcast has now... We are going to have essentially a 20-minute Why Is This a Thing segment on Shouldn't we just do that on Why Is This a Thing? (laughs) Okay, A Bug's Life. Fuck you. Not expecting that. (laughs) We could have some conversation about A Bug's Life. How about that? You just, uh, you refuse to nominate The Truman Show? Yeah, I feel fine about Bug's Life. Bugs Life over Truman's show. It's it's not it's not Andy or Jesus Peter Weir's best film. So yeah, I'm fine. I, with that. I have poked the bear one too many times. Mm, yeah, you have. It's now become obvious. <laughs> All right. Don't you ever fuck with me. <laughs> All I know is you're going to watch Rounders, and I'm going to enjoy it. That's all. <laughs> what makes you think I'm not going to like Rounders? You could hire someone. And their only job for 60 years is to be like, produce a movie made for Nico. <laughs> and Rounders is what they would get. Okay. You want, if someone devoted their whole life to understanding my psyche and producing a piece of art that's made for me, it's Rounders. Okay, Nico, here's the problem with yeah. your logic, is that traditionally on this podcast, I like your movies a lot more than you like my movies. Good point. But this, is, this may be a little too Nico for you to handle. All right. This may... <laughs> this may go over the top. Is it? Cl- is it? Cl- Are we just ignoring the fact that I just nominated a Wes Anderson movie? By the way, Are we just <laughs> oh, brushing yeah. that little oh, detail? Anderson, off? I was going to nominate that anyway. Too, okay. Are we just? Uh, I I fucked with you so good on this podcast that I got you to nominate a fucking Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> Take that. You know what, Nico? You lose, motherfucker. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. This got this really turned. Around. I really I really betrayed you, didn't I? I know that all bets are off now. The, the, look, man, this ain't nom. <laughs> there are rules to this shit, dude. And you've broken those. So like Walter and, and Big Lebowski, I'm pulling the gun out of my bag. Market zero, motherfucker. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And you have autonomy next week. God damn it. I'm living in Adam Hall's world. Don't like it. Uh, Follow you on things, right? Actually, don't follow, <laughs> follow me on things. No, don't. Go don't, right ahead. Don't follow this guy. Uh, check out all the other podcasts <laughs> on the website. I am uh, I'm caught off guard by this. I know. This podcast has entered a new era. I'm an evil genius. I'm a regular joker here. Ha ha. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's, uh, that's the Movie Hall of Fame. Until next time. Hmm. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can't say it. 
<laughs> I was going blazing saddles. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs>